supersonic. 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 Welcome to Supersonic Hospitality Marketing with me, Mark McSee, where we meet the most interesting people in hospitality, marketing, business, and beyond to hear tips, tricks, and tales to help your brand boom. This podcast is sponsored by Vita Mojo, the all-in-one restaurant management platform helping operators grow ATV, reduce tech complexity, and serve guests better. And now, here's a quick word from our sponsors. Vita Mojo is proud to be the headline sponsor of the Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Vita Mojo transforms chaos into confidence for hospitality operators worldwide, empowering brands to streamline order management and take control of their business. With its flexible end to end order management system, Vita Mojo gives you one central place to manage your menu across every channel, brand, and location. But Vita Mojo is much more than an out of the box software solution. The Vita Mojo team are with you every step of the way, providing the partnership you need, the technology you want, and the experience your guests deserve, all in one place. Vita Mojo will help you adapt to whatever the world throws at your hospitality business. For more information, visit vitamojo.com slash supersonic. Want to be recognised as one of the most innovative and best performing brands in our sector? I'm James Haken, the founder of Restaurant Marketer and Innovator, and here to tell you it's your time to shine. Our 2024 awards are open for entry with 13 categories. Join the likes of Brewdog, McDonald's, Turtle Bay, Box Park, Fuller's, Grind, Gales and Rick Stein restaurants who have all picked up wins in recent years. Visit restaurantinnovator.com to find out more information and apply. Hello and it's new series time and we've got the best guest to kick us off. We have Juliet Keat who is Marketing Director at Red Engine also known as, you might know it this way instead, is Electric Shuffle and the Great Flight Club. I've admired Juliet from afar for many, many years. We've always seen each other in rooms, maybe had the odd hello on LinkedIn, but we've never actually had the chance to sit down and spend time together. It was a brilliant chat, really enjoyed the chat that we had and hopefully you'll get a lot out of it. I'm so excited for her, I'm so excited for Red Engine and I'm so excited for Glasgow and Edinburgh which are going to be the latest openings. But anyway, here is Juliet now. So it gives me the most okay eye the new pleasure ever to introduce my next guest who is Juliet Keat who is the Marketing Director at Red Engine, aka Flight Club and Electric Shuffle. Hello. Hi there, how are you? Hi, good. I'm all right. I'm all right. I was just saying to you off mic there about being away for five weeks and now it's like summer holidays after school where I forget how to write and forget my name and forget what I do for a living and can't get up in the morning <laughs> and all these types of things. Um, and you were saying you had a, a half and half holiday. Yes, very much so. I had a week in Corfu, which sounded great on paper, and then it rained for half of it whilst the rest of the country back here had glorious sunshine. As 
Uh, no, it's a good. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's it, we're never happy, right? It's either too wet or too cold or too windy or too hot. But if we could just have twenty three degrees constantly, no wind, that would be great. Not great for hospitality, probably. But because uh, no. I remember years ago when I worked at Yosushi, and we were always praying for light drizzle. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> it would drive people into shopping centers. But it was really funny. He used to go into the board meeting uh, with, with Robin Rowland, to I, I love to bits. You know, one of the best bosses ever had. And you'd sit at the board meeting, and they'd go, "Our sales are down. What's going on?" You know, it was a sunny weekend. You know, and you would go, "But what did you do this weekend?" Oh, I had yeah. a lovely barbecue with my family and friends. <laughs> yeah, so did the rest of the UK. <laughs> what can we do to get them into Meadowhall and Sheffield? Not much. <laughs> Aye, so tell me about you. So I guess what we're saying, we've seen each other in the passing and uh, definitely admired you from a distance in terms of, you know, your career and everything that you're doing. And I think we sort of bumped into each other by being in the same postcode the other week um, at Peach on the Beach. Um, and uh, you had a great panel with uh, Raz and Tom. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And who else? Was there someone else? Was that it? Uh, yes. Um, oh, it's Olivia. It was Olivia from <laughs> Sessions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so that was good. Well, do you know, funnily enough, that is about 300 yards from my front door. Oh, you then you live in a lovely part of the world, don't you? <laughs> so yeah, it's it's, uh, it's when he said where it was, I was like, I've absolutely won a watch here. This is brilliant. <laughs> um, but it was a it was a really good panel, and um, we've got Raz coming on actually uh, next week uh, in terms of recording. So that'll be interesting to hear about the journey of Black Rock restaurants, and then Tom's been on before, um, and yeah, it's probably long overdue getting Olivia or sessions on at some point as well. So. Tell us about you then. So you're sitting just back from holiday, yeah. queen of the world, um, one of the best brands going in hospitality, big plans, big new openings happening. No one's got a bad word to say about you guys. They have, everyone loves you. What's going on then? How did you get there? Where did you start out? <laughs> What's going on indeed? Um, so <laughs> I've been with the company um, at Red Engine for coming up to eight years now, so pretty much since since the beginning. But before that, um, I'm kind of a jack of all trades in terms of marketing. I hadn't worked in the hospitality industry until I joined Red Engine for my sins. Um, so I'd always done marketing in kind of an events field, whether it's for a PR agency or prior to that, I did a year out in New York for a placement, which was um, really fun. There's a lot to learn in New York there. Um, and I'd studied international business before that, was, which was kind of the classic Jeff all trades, master of none in terms of try a bit of everything and then see. Um, and when I came out of uni, I liked the idea of marketing, didn't know enough about it, probably should have paid more attention at said uni, um, and then got stuck into it. Worked with Fat Soma when they were super early um, doing their ticketing for the marketing team, left them shortly after, and then tried various different marketing roles. Um, I kind of learned a lot of, along the way about that, particularly around, I kept falling into doing events management within marketing. So at my old PR agency, I used to do things like our annual digital trends report. So compiling all the information about that, but then also the running of the event and coordinating all of that. And then also things like the annual company conference that was 200 people, eight countries, bringing everyone together, team building, the party, 
the DJ, the booze, crucially, um, <laughs> and then all of those pieces, as well as the more traditional arms of marketing. So that kind of gave me a bit of breath. And then I went to a pub one night after work. Um, I worked around the corner, strangely, from where Flight Club Shoreditch now is, but it wasn't yet open. With a friend from work, we'd had a long day. We'd earned a large glass of wine or more, walked into the pub. The pub was really busy. Um, and my friend was like, oh, that's my friend Steve over there. There's space on the end of this table and there wasn't space anywhere else. So maybe we can just hop on the end of the table. And that's how I met Steve, our CEO and founder, Dustin, our COO. We got talking. They were very excitable about this new bar they were opening. I don't think I've ever seen two people more excited to talk about a chicken burger that they just tried on our menu that day. We fell into general conversation. Wine was ordered, more wine was ordered. They asked how my friend and I knew each other. I said I'd do the marketing for this PR agency. And then I suddenly started getting kind of Jeremy Paxman on what I do in marketing, what I think I'd do for this bar. Um, and then that was kind of that. And I walked away from it. My mum happened to call me. And I said, I think I've just ended up having an interview. And she said, well, I, th I thought you were in the pub. And I was like, yeah, it was, it was for this darts bar. And she was like, well, what, what do you want to do with the darts bar? Um, and then it went from there. Shoreditch opened a couple of weeks later. We had various chats. I kind of unofficially started working with the guys behind the scenes. And then from January the 1st, so literally two and a half months after Shoreditch, our first site opened, I joined the team as marketing manager. We had a central team, I think, of about three at that point. Uh -huh. um, eight years later, we've now got uh, 23 sites globally. And our central team at Red Engine is 114, I think. So it's been quite the journey it's been amazing to see it go from very much scrappy startup try everything once throw everything against the wall and see what sticks to then obviously much more um established and polished now but still with a lot more to learn yeah. so that's around the houses tour i guess yeah and then what about new york i mean what what did you learn there and what have you taken from that um so when i worked out there it was just for a year um in it was actually for the press and Present Public Affairs Department for the Foreign Office, which is a completely different sector. Um, but with that, we did a lot of events every week. So it was hosting in local, the politicians who would fly in for various corporate events. So making sure that we were effectively communicating in that. And with that job, there was a lot of red ticket, ticket tape because shockingly with government, you need about 14 different people to sign something off before you post on social media, on which was Facebook at the time, or doing a blog on the website required lawyers and goodness knows who else in that. Um, but I think New York as a city teaches you quite a lot because it's it's so it's it's a cliche, but it's very relentless and fast paced. And it's if you get involved with it and get stuck in, it's amazing. I think you can learn a lot about yourself from it. So moving out there, I did it as part of a scheme called Mountbatten. So 120 of you go out, but you don't know anyone, and then you get put into a flat and you get put into a job that you've obviously got to apply for. So it's kind of pushing yourself quite to the extreme to go right I've never lived in this city before like I've liked it when I've visited some people that hadn't been before but then going right how do I make the most of this year whether it's working professionally as an opportunity but then also how many times do you get the opportunity to live somewhere like New York or to be in the States um, and learning about that as well like the different cultures within the US is super interesting I also did a placement year at uni working in North Carolina oh, wow. and North Carolina and New York Two very different places on yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. One feels very much more like a culture shock from the UK than, than New York. New York's a bit more familiar, but 
um, that was a really good grounding year to then come back and then get stuck into marketing and being like, right, I've sampled a little bit of this. Now, where do I want to take it next? So yeah, it was a, it was an incredible year for that. Quite a and, long did, time <laughs> and did you see anything different in terms of hospitality and, and what hospitality should be from, from both North Carolina and New York? Yeah. So North Carolina is very much Southern hospitality or the, all the stereotypes. Um, I mean, this was nearly 18 years ago. I've just aged myself. Um, <laughs> when I was in North Carolina, but, and that was Southern hospitality, everything was fried, um, for better or worse. Um, but the warmth and the welcoming and the, I'd say the familiarity that you get with Southern hospitality is something to really learn from. It's that warmth and welcoming, um, and kind of laid back nature that's really lovely. Like it feels quite like, like a couple. Um, and New York, I think is exceptional because certainly was the case when I lived there. And I think it is still the case. It seems to lead the world in terms of a lot of hospitality and culinary trends. So certainly at that point, what was going on in New York, New York then tracked in London, like three years later. So my friend had done it previously and she came back from New York and this was 15 years ago and no longer. Um, she said, I really want to set up a street food truck. Street food was not a thing in England at the time, mm. but it was really everywhere in New York. So we spent the whole summer, kind of early 20s, going, Yeah, I'm definitely going to do this. And then for whatever reason, we didn't see it through. Two years later, street food starts popping up across London yeah. and across the UK. Um, and I think um, New York is great for that, for really seeing the different things that are popping up. So, like Korean barbecue was really big when I was there, and that's kind of come over. So, it's a good way to kind of go and explore new cuisines and to see what's kind of coming down the chute and there's it's very true in new york that there's there's something to try for everyone in the same way that there is with london but i think there's a lot to get stuck into and a lot to learn from there and a lot to learn from good customer service but efficient customer service at the same time new york's very fast paced but it's you know when you sit at the bar you get the full attention of the person serving you and i, I really like that about new york and do you think you brought some of that into red engine in terms of the service and the staff, you know, is, is that, you know, you seen that in the culture there? Because it is really good customer service that you have. Yeah, it's fantastic customer service. I wouldn't be as bold to say that I have any kind of lead in terms of that operation. We've got an incredible ops team here that are so good at what they do and are so passionate about what they do. What I would say is that we really put our teams are at the forefront of everything like we can design the best the, what we think are the best looking venues and have peerless technology um and all of these features but if if the team aren't there to deliver it and to really live our values as a brand and be passionate about what they're doing then the rest the rest kind of falls apart it doesn't really it doesn't matter in the same way um so having the team at the center of that is something that's incredibly important to us um as for both brands and continues to be so as we go on a global scale we want you to have the same experience in birmingham as you do in chicago as you do in austin as you do in perth and that comes down to whilst it's all the pieces of the jigsaw that you recognize as being in a flight club or electric shuffle you're not getting that service every time you're not going to come back to us and that's something that we're very cognizant of so for anyone that doesn't know what <laughs> is flight club and electric shuffle and also a, a little bit on red engine and, and why the master brand as well the parent brand um so red engine we're the central team behind flight club and electric shuffle so we're the kind of parent company as it were we are set up by a group of friends that like to bring groups of friends together 
So with Flight Club and Electric Shuffle, we transform traditional pastimes with Flight Club, it's dance and Electric Shuffle, it's shuffleboard, which is slightly lesser known. Um, and then we house it all in a bar that should be a bloody a great time for you, regardless of whether you're playing a game with us or not. So with our games, you can have between up to 12 people playing at once at Flight Club and 16 at Electric Shuffle. But then we've used technology to bring the games to life. So whilst you're playing on a traditional darts board or a traditional shuffleboard, same puck, same darts, we're scoring everything for you. You can have 12 people playing at once with Flight Club, whereas traditionally it's two people. You don't have to worry about the mental arithmetic, which I was grateful for. You don't have to check out on a double or triple in fact it doesn't matter whether you've played before in your life you should be coming to have a good time and that's what our goal is to deliver um and we've worked on a lot of technology to bring all of that to life so it's not just about you playing as one group together we can also do tournaments and events so you can have up to 350 people connected in a tournament so you can see your team's winning above everyone else or your are you bottom like penultimate in the leaderboard um, so from that team building element as well, it's a great way to bring groups together, to have a good time, and to just bring a bit of joy to everyone. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely got that feel about it. And, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to go a few times. I haven't done Electric Shuffle, actually, but um, Flight Club, you know, quite a few times. And uh, there's no better feeling than when you win a game and that <laughs> slow-mo plays, you know, on the screen and... Yeah. I was just completely blown away by that. And also just the quickness of service, the attention. Um, I mean, even think like the crowd control was quite good. There was a, a group next to us and one of the times that were getting a bit much and they were able to handle that really well and sort of bring it down a bit. And, you know, so we're very thankful for that because we were a, a group we all ages kind of yeah. thing, you know, and, and it, it was it was getting a wee bit a wee bit rowdy um over in Victoria. But yeah. um but yeah, it was brilliant. So in terms of the the modernization and i think that's brilliant the way you've put it and and you know from a, a geeky brand guys um mm. view in terms of you know transforming the traditional pastimes so in terms of that how did you even go about developing the game so when you know you've got the site you know where the dartboards are going to go whatever who came up with that idea and what was the technology journey and all that stuff so everything started way before we had anything near our first site and i say we obviously wasn't part of it at that point in time so um our founders steve and paul were friends that always kind of brought together their group of friends to do something different so it wasn't just about going to the pub great as the pub is they always wanted to do a pub quiz or golf or have some sort of gaming element to bring their groups of friends together um and they steve led a fire engine tour around the globe so it called follow that fire engine so he's got a guinness world record for taking a fire engine on the longest trip around the world and raised an awful lot of money for charity along the way. And that taught him a lot around project management, bringing friends together to deliver this slightly insane but brilliant goal of um, who takes a fire engine through the world that steps the world and survives it. Um, and I'd done that, came back, was with Paul in the pub. They saw a group of friends playing in kind of deepest, darkest Devon on a rainy day around a dartboard. And the group were really going mental. And it wasn't just two people playing, it was a big group. And they saw an opportunity there to go, well, we haven't really seen darts played in this way. So what if we did that, but we bought technology and so you haven't got the barrier to entry of going, well, I'm not quite sure of the scoring or what did you get last time? Um, and then they worked to find experts in their field. So Dustin, who's operations expert, 
but for your point for the technology, they were introduced to um, Jason, who's our technical director, who's ex-NASA um, and wow. very good things flying in the air, um, spent two years testing um, all the things that they thought Flight Club could be. So it started in Steve's shed in his back garden and then grew to two years of product testing around various pubs in London, literally carrying a TV around with a PowerPoint deck and actually doing the scoring. Um, working out all the ways that people play, where they put their drink down, where they turn for a pizza, where they want to hang their drink, um, their drinks, hang their coats up. Um, so it was two years of really thorough testing before Black Club Shoreditch started in 2015. Um, and we have all of this in-house. Every, everything you do when you experience our venue is done in-house and that's what Red Engine is. Mm. And when it came to the idea of the electric shuffle, we went through a very similar process. I think people might think that because we've got it nailed theoretically once for flight club we just apply the same thing no we did another at least 18 months maybe two years of testing for shuffles so every week we've got a, we've got an up key and a shuffleboard in our offices in Islington so we've got in focus groups every week through friends and family to help us test these games because we altered the tables in terms of the length it's not double end scoring we thought we could have more people playing so that's why they're 16 so we're always always testing and always going back to the drawing board and going okay just because this has worked here doesn't mean it'll work here mm. um and yeah that's how the technology really started it was the technology was called from the start it wasn't kind of an, an add-on at the end of it it was intrinsic to to what we are and then just in terms of two things then one launching a site you know mm -hmm. what are the steps to success for that and the second thing I always think about, I worked a little bit on Lucky Voice um, back in the day, mm -hmm. and it can have an issue experientially where people kind of go, well, I've done that. You know, they're maybe not going to go every week. So how do you keep attracting people back, um, you know, to, to, to want to do it? So really curious on those couple of things. Sure. So um i've been lucky enough to be part of many of our all of our launches since we started um and just to kind of explain it a little bit more so we own all the flight clubs and electric shuffles in the uk we work with franchise partners for flight club in the us and australia with state of faith hospitality and night owl entertainment but electric shuffle us is a red engine business we own that as well so i've been part of not all the 23 launches but quite a few of them along the way um, and something that we kind of work to now that, again, we're still learning, we do a three-month pre-launch campaign and then a three-month post-launch campaign. There's a lot that goes on the scenes behind that, but from a marketing perspective, that's where our core focus really comes into play. Prior to that, we have the hoarding of vinyls that go up, but in terms of building that momentum, we put a real concerted effort pre and post to make sure that we're not just opening our doors and hoping for the best. Um, and each time it's about learning that when so we started in london we had two sites in london and then our first non-london site was manchester um and i've lived in manchester for four or five years through union first jobs after that absolutely love manchester and know how passionate manks are about their city and how you've got to get it right and certainly at the time there'd been a lot of london brands going there um and some doing better than others in terms of understanding who they were to the city. Hawksmoor was the shining example of how to launch in, in Manchester as a London brand and to really get that tone right. 
It did, uh, it did take a while for Hawksmoor though, didn't it? Because yeah. I remember having Will on the podcast, although it was a very echoey podcast. We did it in one of the, uh, in their head office. I should have done it in the studio. But um, he uh, he did say, you know, it took an awful long time to curry favour. Definitely. With, with the Manchester, because it, was, it wasn't it was as bold as we're a London brand and we've just landed here and we know better, but the, it just took a little while to get into that heart of the community a bit more. Definitely. And I think that's where some London brands have come unstuck with Manchester was the assumption that, oh, well, we're doing pretty well in London. So obviously everyone else will like us. And that that uh, naivety doesn't carry any favours, especially in Manchester. So um, and that was something that we were really aware of from the outside. Absolutely love Manchester. The hospitality scene there has grown incredibly since I was there at uni and there's so many good things going on there. So when we launched there, we kind of works to the fact that nobody knew who we were we had no we kind of humbled ourselves a lot on it maybe only had two businesses um in london as it was but there was no oh well, we've won some awards in london so you're all welcome so we stripped it back to basics went back to our focus groups focus groups um with the local customers there and potential customers and really kind of dug into how and where they'd want to hear about us and why and what the messaging should be. So it's kind of going, do you want to know that we're from London? Do you want to know that we've won some awards? And the resounding feedback was, no, we don't want to know that you're from London. I'll try not to swear about it. Yeah, yeah. No, they would have swore. They would have swore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, the fact that you're from London, what we want to know is that you are a great bar, that mm. you've served us a really good drink, you're not going to charge us London prices and then we'll do the rest. We'll tell you if you're good or not, mm. but just be a really good bar and then we'll decide. Um, so that's what we led with. So it was less about saying, obviously the dance was important and social dance is a USP for us, but if first and foremost, you can be a great bar for people, that is what will make them come back to you because we have people that come to us. Word of mouth is our biggest marketing tool. It's the one you can't control, but it's the best one. And a lot of the times people come to us for the first time with the company social and you hear um, in customer reviews people going oh well I was going to this darts bar and I don't like I don't like darts I didn't think it was gonna be any good because I don't I don't enjoy it and I couldn't believe that I had a great time so then they come back with their friends and then they come back to their friends to play or they might come on a date for drinks but then we also do brunch on the weekends which is a different offering um, and that's how we see that repeat custom so the company social might come to you once or twice a year but then they want to go somewhere else so it's not repetitive but for customers we try to keep offering that variety we try to um update our products we're constantly working on them so we launched two new games last year we launched um stories and action replay that you talked about with, about the flight club we launched that in electric shuffle at the start of this year so again when customers join us at certain trigger points in the game will record your reaction because we've got a pretty good feeling that you're either going to be really happy or really sad with what's just unfolded in front of you we capture it pack, package it all up and send it to you the next day as your own story so you have the leaderboards who's won which games you can choose at flight club to take photos and kind of boomerang loop cams and you can share all that content so that becomes a marketing tool for us as well because what we love about our venues is people are rarely on their phones because they're just they're having a good time and that's how it should be nothing kills me more than seeing two people out for dinner both on their phones mm. so we saw that but when oh, hang on nobody's on their phones so how are we going to get them to tell tell everyone about us so that's where stories and action replay came in and it's a great way to enhance our technology but also you should never know the technology's there it should just be seamless 
I, I just, I really like that and the fact that, you know, there's a few pubs out there that will remain nameless and they go, oh, you know, mobile phones are banned or, you know, pretend that it's 1984 and, you know, you, there's no tip. And it's like, don't tell me whether to use my phone or not. I'll be the, the judge of that. But I think that's amazing. The, the mark of such a good time that people aren't on their phones is is quite compelling as a KPI. And also, yeah, you know, you're talking about the, the couple out and, you know, with their, with their phones. I, I think that's called a wedding anniversary, isn't it? Or date night? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what it's called? <laughs> um, but no, I, I think that's fantastic, you know, in, in, in terms of that. Just when you're launching and when you're doing your day-to-day -day marketing, and also I love what you're saying about three months pre and then three months post, and it's something people always forget as well, because they might do the one, two, three month run up or more, and then you open the doors and then they go, oh, we'll just coast now. And yeah. it's like, no, you've got to keep it going till that honeymoon period's over and you see how, how it's going to launch. Um, and I remember I, I opened uh, a place years ago, I won't say which brand, but I remember the CEO said um, to the press was saying, you know, how, how successful, you know, how's, how has this launched? And he said, uh, oh, it's, it's been off like a train. He never said what train or how fast the train was going, <laughs> you know. But uh, but yeah, I had to do a lot of work. They picked a really bad location. But um, but <laughs> but I think you know from from that perspective, that's great. But tactically, what are your main channels that you really use? I mean, is it all organic social, or is it uh, social media advertising, or is it lots of offline? Is it lots of reach out to local businesses? You know what what types of things levers are you pulling? All of the above, in short. So yeah. we try to tap onto every channel as much as possible. So we spend a lot of time, obviously, before we choose a site, there's multiple visits back and forth the city um, for our core team to really make sure it's the right location, it's the right building for us, we know the city's right, and that we can truly offer something new to that community. So that's kind of phase one. And then we really go into it in terms of from a sales and marketing team perspective is building as many local relationships as we can, literally boots on the ground every single chat marketer you can find whether it's nail salons uh estate agents hairdressers anyone that's likely to say yeah. what are you doing at the weekend yeah. or listening to this great new bar we yeah. introduce ourselves to them we try and get them into our soft launch we make sure that they're the first person to the first people to hear about us yeah. um so we, st we start with that and do a lot of insights ahead of that in terms of going, which are our core audiences we're going to tap into? Who do we think are going to be most receptive to us? Where do we think there's the most opportunity? Um, and then we start peppering it on with kind of your classic social and PR um, and business development on top of that. So your, your classic press releases and outreach and then social media, organic content, and then starting with ads and then being the pain that everyone is with retargeting, following around the internet. Um, and then building that up to our launch week. So we do three days of soft launch, slowly build up momentum each day for the ops team to help kind of test the waters, make sure that we can really go full tilt. Then Thursday is our press and influence tonight. And then Friday we open the doors. Um, but as you said, it's not just going, well, Friday we're open, so job done. Mm. It's how you keep that going, how you keep getting that message out there. So we always want to spend the first few months making sure that our value proposition is super clear. We're a really good bar. Our food and drinks are great. We've got some games that you can come and play and have a great time with your friends, with your colleagues, with your family um, and keep pushing that messaging out there. But it's about how you keep 
that momentum going and keep revisiting those audiences and not dismissing them. We've got two sites opening this autumn for Flight Club in Edinburgh and Glasgow, which we're super excited for. It's our first foray into Scotland. Um, so we're looking at whether we do some extra activations and pop-ups in person. Um, and then also peppering on things like out of home advertising, whether it's the train stations, we just want to be, we want to be seen and recognised. We've got in Edinburgh, it's um, in this really nice mall in St James's Quarter, we've got huge hoarding, that's the biggest hoarding we'd ever done until we actually put up our vinyls for Electric Shuffle New York, which is coming next year. And now we've got vinyls that are <laughs> nearly two storeys on Broadway, which is slightly terrifying, but exciting at the same time. Wow. So you start with that, but then it's how you keep people engaged and that go, well, I've seen this for nine months now. What are you actually about? So that's then when social and website and PR really starts to layer on on top of that, where people go, oh, I have walked past that thing. Now I know a little bit more about that. And it's how you kind of keep that thread going, then bring press and influencers and all your local contacts you've built to the initial week. So they become your word of mouth and your brand advocates, hopefully from day one. Uh -huh. um, and that's something we've done. For every single launch that's something we did with manchester we did press trips down to down to dreaded london we took press down with us because we were like we can send you a press release but you might think we're we're just us so we're like why don't you come out with us in london try a couple of our bars and you'll get a sense of what's to come yeah that then meant that when we opened our doors we had a really welcome like great welcome where we have people coming up to us being like show me around because i've been really bought into this and i think that's something that was always a good learning point for us is like taking people on the journey, showing them behind the scenes, showing them how much care we put into our venues. There's an incredible team that brings our sites together. Um, all of our interior design is done in-house. So, and the dressing and production, the creative technology, every aspect. So for people to get a sense of that and how much care that we put into the venues that go to these cities, um, I think it's something that resonates with people well now. People are, people are going out less. So when they, when they do go out, they want to really get value for their money and be someone that's going to be really memorable. And we want to be that place for people and we're not complacent about that at all. What about early and midweeks? I mean, pretty much every meeting that I'm in right now is, you know, how can we be busy in a wet Tuesday lunchtime and all the rest of it? Uh, I'm assuming, I might be wrong, that your yeah. business is sort of laddered towards Thursday, Friday, Saturday, maybe. But what can what do you do to sort of flatten the week a bit? Um, so in terms of flattening the week, we're definitely po more popular with kind of the team building corporate crowds after work drink crowds Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, where essentially you see a lot of people traditionally in the office those kind of middle three days. That's definitely something we tap into and we see we see good success with. As I mentioned, the fact that we can do tournaments that connect everyone, um, it seems to really resonate well with companies because we tick that box that it's not just a bucket of wine and beer and somebody from the people team is going to get a call the next morning um <laughs> hopefully a bit more positively uh, memorable and that does really well for us kind of early dates in the week but then it's also about again the local neighborhoods so we have a quarterly um hospitality industry tournament on a sunday or monday so we'll be like come on guys like come and have a night out on us you want to drink somewhere else with a place for you to be um which typically sunday mondays tend to be a little bit quieter so again it's working out which audiences you can tap into um but then i think there's also the element of going you can't you can't be everything to everyone all the time so whilst we want to be busy seven days a week from open till close 
we're really we're ambitious but we're also realistic with our expectations for that but there's a lot of opportunities with the different products that we offer that that seem to resonate well with people that you can come for a bite to eat at lunch pop in and out for 45 minutes but then also you can come and spend five hours in our bar in bloomsbury because that place is downstairs and ends up being like vegas where you venue, <laughs> <laughs> and i'm saying that from personal experience so yeah, you, you're pumping oxygen in no exit <laughs> signs all the rest Brand of it yeah, yeah. slushies is a uh, great combination <laughs> I bet. And then when does Glasgow and Edinburgh open? What's the official? So Glasgow opens um, the first week in October, which will be Friday the 6th of October. And then Edinburgh opens Friday the 17th of November. Just in time for Crimble. Very Just nice. For Christmas, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and where, where is it in Glasgow? Is it George Square? Yeah, George Square. Uh-huh. Oh, that'd yeah, be fabulous. Right opposite and um, the Alchemist, just down the road from Queen's Legion. It's a beautiful heritage building that is one of our we have many ambitious projects. Glasgow, I think, will be up there. It's gonna have a mezzanine area. Um, for anyone that's been to Flight Club, we have these custom ring lights, we've got double ring lights, um, we're gonna have a huge ornate fireplace that's on the mezzanine floor. So that's gonna be incredible. That's got 15 play areas. So I can't wait to see that one open because it's the, what would kind of be a classic flight club building in terms of we try to combine the heritage of darts, which is the British pub and the fairground and that kind of Victoriana aesthetic. So these traditional old buildings with the ornate kind of architecture is something that's always brilliant to see kind of reborn into something new. So Glasgow will really lean into that heritage. And we've also got obviously Soho houses opening around the corner from us next yeah. year. And there's some great places already in the neighbourhood and more coming, which is exciting. You've got a massive spoons on the corner. That's, that's probably one of the busiest in the country. Um, <laughs> it's massive. And, it, and I think that's one of the busiest Greggs as well that's on the corner, funnily yeah, enough. Uh, because I, I used to uh, work at Pret and I did some of my buddy days in the shop in the one in Glasgow, uh, just off George Square. And it was next door to Greggs. And Ooh. Greggs always used to have a queue at the door and then Pret was not as busy it was still busy and then yeah. used to get why is why is greg's busy you know you're like they're selling a macaroni pie and a drink and a packet of crisps for like two quid like of course you know it's got as you were saying it's like north carolina it's like everything's fried you know let's yeah, go for it runs are hard to beat they were my <laughs> <laughs> no i know it's bad and then what about um the Scottish people then in terms of, you know, have you done any focus groups yet in Glasgow and what, what has there been any feedback or, or anything? Obviously you want to lead with your, we're from England message, I would have thought. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, from we're, we're originally based from London. We can't, um, you, you're going to love us. Um, yeah, yeah. We know better. We know better, yeah. I think, is the, yeah, yeah. Exactly, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> yeah, we definitely not lent on that. We, um, with, Actually, with Scotland, it's been amazing so far with Glasgow and Edinburgh. The response we've had with actually recognition already. We've had a lot of people who visited us in Manchester, in Leeds, um, which wasn't something we necessarily anticipated. And we certainly didn't act. It was we're kind of treating it like Manchester and in the same way that we launched Cardiff last year, which was our first Welsh venue. We didn't want to assume that anyone knew us. So you've kind of got to go in with that that humble attitude. So again, we've spent a lot, many, many months in talking to everyone, introducing ourselves to everyone, kind of quite trying to kind of quietly convey that we've, we do think we've got something new and different to offer um, without just going, well, we've 
we've done okay in England. So obviously yeah. we're doing well here and we're not taking any of that for granted. And it's something that we kind of continue to invest in and spend a lot of time in. It's really funny. I mean, I've been away half my life, over half my life now, but um, it's really funny how far a little Scottish flag goes you know, like just in, because if you read the sun, it's the Scottish sun. If you go yeah. to Morrison's, it's got a, you know, soul tire in the bag. And, and actually tonight's Scotland, England, isn't it? It's the 150th anniversary game tonight. So very excited about that. But exactly. um, With each venue as well, we um, try to incorporate local kind of trends and nods to the neighbourhood. So whether that's a custom mural with local landmarks, whether it's a cocktail special with a nod to that, um, working with local kind of um, distilleries and other brands is something that's really important to us. So whenever you go into our venue, you should know you're in one of our venues, but we don't do cookie cutter, no two look alike. And part of that is incorporating kind of the local heritage, hopefully in a respectful way. So we're not just going, when we launched in Manchester, the big thing was do not, don't you dare use the bee and don't just put honey in a cocktail and think, oh, or a neon oasis coat on the wall and yeah. think that you're from Manchester. So there's the difference between that and going, we're trying to embrace and become part of that. So for Glasgow and Edinburgh, we'll absolutely have that throughout the venue. There'll be lots of hidden gems to find as you oh. walk through, which should hopefully resonate really well locally. Yeah. Well, if you need a Glasgow advisor, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here for it. Yeah. But, um, but basically, uh, and, and then there was that fabulous um, Banksy exhibition was on just round the corner from you. Yeah. Um, so it's just finished. I, I was lucky enough to go when it, when it was up and it was one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life, you know. So, yeah, a wee traffic cone um, and, and uh, ode to the Duke of Wellington statue uh, here and there would be a good idea as well. Hi. Here's a quick message for all hospitality operators who want to reward, recognise and retain their brilliant teams. I want to introduce you to my new friends at Grateful. Grateful is a revolutionary cashless tipping and trunk platform disrupting tipping all across hospitality. Grateful's mission is to help create a more grateful world for hospitality teams by building the best tipping platform out there that is truly built around your business as Grateful understands just how unique your business and team are. So, if you're a restaurant, hotel, bar or cafe, and no matter if you're a national chain or just a single site, Grateful simplifies Trunk for you by using their tech know-how to provide 100% transparency for your teams. Grateful streamlines your operational overheads through API integrations into your EPOS, Rota, Payroll and more that takes the headache of handling tipping away for you and your teams. Grateful are a fast-growing, ambitious team that are fanatical about customer service and are always striving to do the right thing for you. With the new legislation just around the corner, it would be worth chatting to Mason and the team at Grateful to see how you can modernise your tipping for a happier team and a happier business. To find out more, please visit Grateful.com. That's G-R- tfl.com that's grtfl.com now a creative agency for the hospitality sector saved by robots create compelling brands and memorable experiences through great design and engaging storytelling from scottish restaurant of the year sugar boat to tip jar the digital tipping platform that's taken over the world 
Saved by Robots excel at bringing ideas to life. As well as developing new concepts and refreshing existing brands, the robots provide outsourced graphic design to help multi-site operators grow with confidence. Check out their work and get in touch at savedbyrobots.com. So I was just wondering about TikTok, just in terms of effort versus return and how much sort of focus you're putting on it, because I see a lot of marketing departments are saying, well, it's not really my audience. It's not really worth the effort. It's really different from the other social media channels. So I just wondered how you were approaching that because you're a very social brand and techie brand. Yeah, so social media is definitely one of our, is our biggest channel. And TikTok is something that we've invested a lot more time and resources in this year. And I think it's really challenged us in terms of, as with everyone, you've got to be a lot more flexible with it and a little bit more rough around the edges in terms of how quickly you put content out, but also the end result. Because people see through anything that's too polished, they want that genuine UGC content. So that's something that we've tried to lean into. I think the joy of TikTok kind of mirrors across marketing in terms of the fact that you have to be flexible and willing to try new things. There's definitely an element of going, is this the right channel for me? I think where everyone kind of um, jumps from Twitter over to the um, Instagram version overnight and then back again is one thing, but TikTok seems to really resonate with us. Video content is a great way to see the experience you can have when you join us. So it's about how we can join it but also joining the right trends and knowing when to go, well, actually, just because this sound is trending doesn't mean we have to jump on it. It's still got to align with our messaging and our tone of voice. So whilst we're playful, we wouldn't want to do anything at the joke or expense of somebody else. So it's it's how we live our values through TikTok and the content that we create there. And that's something that we're focusing on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember when I, I worked at um, Lucky Voice and they had a thing called the Madonna myth. Mm-hmm. So... What they wanted to do was they were keen for photos and videos, which is going to be hard now, not to leave the room. Because right. that night when you're drunk at one in the morning, you know, you think you are John Bon Jovi or, <laughs> or Cher or whatever. And the crushing disappointment of then seeing that video where you definitely weren't. Um, the next morning and that being shared with people was probably not not what you wanted as you were, you know, more like a sweaty meatloaf, I suppose, <laughs> doing that. So, yeah, no, I think you're right. It's just how you how you connect that together. But I think your venues are so beautiful. There's so much fun going on. And as you see, it's really, you know, playful. And if you can just capture that moment where someone wins or is crushed by defeat or celebrating or does something fun you know I, I think it's just you know a brand set up so well for for that you know um, I think it's also where your audience are so we uh, work to target personas so our consumer persona is Lucy who's 27 the social organizer out of her friends the kind of ringleader the one that's finding out the new places to go. And she used to do that on Instagram or even Google, but now she's doing it on TikTok. So if you're not on TikTok, then how can we reach our target audience? And whilst Lucy is kind of at the heart of what we all our marketing campaigns, um, we've got to be where she's looking. And mm. all those TikTok transfers, come with me to this or watch me try this. Um, if you're not part of that conversation, then you're going to miss out. And I think that's where it is important to know which channel is pertinent to your audience to go back to what we were saying earlier about knowing 
that you can't be everything for everyone. Well, who who are you talking to and where where are they? Where are they looking for you? And if you're not there, you're going to have a problem. I really like that there's just been a theme running through our whole chat, which has just been your company is full of social instigators. Yeah. You know, um, just the people that like getting people together, I think it's just lovely um, that yeah. you, you've managed to get that in every single person that you've talked about. Yeah, and- we're very strong. We've got a very strong culture and our core company values are warmth, passion, togetherness and innovation. Mm-hmm. And they run through everything we do and everything, every decision we make. And I'm a firm believer that if you're going to spend how many hours a week um, or of your life working somewhere, you should a enjoy what you're working on but b enjoy the people that you're doing it with because fundamentally you've got to spend more time with these people than a lot of your friends and family so you should be um enjoying those times together and that's something that runs through our culture really strongly we we work hard we are restless in our ambition but we celebrate the milestones along the way so for glasgow's opening night our whole red engine team is going to be there for part of the party because they've all helped bring this site to life, whichever team they're in, whether they're the finance team, the interior design team, the reservations team, sales marketing people, tech, you name it, everyone's played their part. So they get to see these venues come to life as well, quite rightly. And that's something that we stand by that at least once a year, everyone goes to a new venue launch. I'm excited to see the pictures of them all lying about George Square at five in the morning, (laughs) (laughs) waiting for Greg to open. And what about challenges as well? So, you know, we've talked about a lot of good stuff, but over the last eight years, I'm sure, you know, with being such an innovative concept, um, you've faced a lot of challenges as well, both in the the company and, and, and the value offering, but also in the marketing. Has there been a few things that you've you've had to kind of overcome? Um, I think there's some of the ones that things that everyone's been challenged with in hospitality in the past few years. Obviously, COVID was the most challenging time for all of us. But what we did in that time and coming out of that time was trying to take as much opportunity as we could. So we used the time in lockdown where we were able to, to really invest in our infrastructure, in the sites that we had coming so that when we reopened, we didn't just reopen our existing sites we reopened we opened three new sites in a two-month period which was a fairly ambitious play when everyone was coming out of covid not entirely sure what this whole new world looked like um so that was a really big challenge for us so it's an exciting one but it it was quite scary at the same time um so i think that's something that has been obviously a landmark for better and worse for many of us and then also it's just how competitive socializing has grown when we when we first started in the industry there was a handful of players and now you can do every every game and interactivity that you can imagine under the sun um and that's brilliant and it, that poses a positive challenge i think because it keeps you all on your toes and it means that you can't you can't rest on your laurels and you can't take last year's success as a given for the next year because somebody's somebody's chomping at your heels so you've got you've got to stay ahead of that game um, and be looking ahead and working out kind of what your next step is and how you're going to reinvigorate what you do. And that's why innovation is an important um, value to us because it's not just the technology, it's about your offering, it's about how you're speaking to your customers, how you're welcoming them, how your venues are designed. So each time you're kind of repassing those learnings back into it and refining what we do. And that's something that resonates throughout our whole business. I mean, what is left to do? <laughs> you know when you when you think because I, I think about it quite a lot. I think there's sixes. The cricket thing yeah. has opened uh, where we were uh, for the peach on the beach thing. 
Yeah. And I'm, I'm starting to think because there's always a balance of danger, <laughs> you know, fast flying <laughs> objects versus yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really scratching my, yeah, my, my head to think. Yeah, there's very few untouched games, I think, at this point, or ones that you'd want to repeat on. Um, I mean, I love a table football, but I don't know what else you would do to just make anything better than the classic kind of table football as it is. But yeah. there's, there's, there are some really great people out there and there's some great brands that have bought in some new new ideas that you go, oh, I wish I'd thought of that, but it's, it's great to see. What does it mean for traditional operators then? Because, you know, you're offering something that, you know, really is that feel-good experience. So if you are, you know, a middle market sort of, you know, normal restaurant and, you know, your food's okay and you're kind of convenient and, you know, does it mean that those people are going to have to up their game in terms of experience? Will they just die? You know, what what, what do you think on that score? I think... Not everything has to be um, an experience in terms of what competitive socialising is. I think there are so many rooms for opportunity and there will always be the great classic British pub that everyone's got there when they go to, whether it's where they grew up and it's got that countryside fire or whether it's their local around the corner. And I think that familiarity is something that always resonates with people and that comfort factor. I think what comes into it is knowing who you are and what you're really good at. And that goes back to what we were saying about you can't be everything for everyone, but if you know what you are to someone, then how do you tap into that and build on that? Um, so if it's, I don't, I'm, I'm not a food expert, although I love going to restaurants, rather than having a menu that tries to be every cuisine and everything for everyone, mm. I far prefer the places that you see a few dishes done really, really well. Um, and the same with like a cocktail bar, a few drinks done really, really well. So I think it's about that learn what your audience want, decide who they are, and then work with them to to build what they want to keep coming back for and don't kind of be scared to ask those questions. Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, which is I'm still shocked the amount of brands that I see and work with and all these things that don't talk to customers. Yeah. They just, you know, they don't reach out. They, they don't, I, don't, I don't know what the reticence is. I don't know if it's all, they'll, they'll kind of, get it wrong or it's stuff they don't want to hear or but you know really thinking about you know marketing in general you're kind of going well is, is stage one not um the whole market orientation piece well that's where with flight club our strap by an unexpected ridiculous joy came from that came from us reading hundreds of reviews from customers and pulling words that they'd use like what better way to talk about yourself than use the words that customers themselves have used mm. and the unexpected was the whole well i thought darts was a certain thing i thought it was you know in the back of a pub certain age certain type of looking stereotypically man playing it um and that's not really for me well actually this place was completely different it wasn't something that i expected and you do kind of People lose their minds when they're with us. They get caught up in it. They say they're not competitive. And 20 minutes later, they're screaming because they've knocked someone out in our game killer. Um, mm -hmm. it's that, that silliness and that fun and that escapism that seems to resonate with people. And it's that joy. It's that kind of, I've forgotten whatever I was stressed about at work today or whatever's going on in the world outside. I can have this little pocket in this place and have fun with my friends and family. Um, and I think that's something that's really important. So 
if that's what it is for us, it's then for people to go, what What do I think I can deliver to people? Is it that really hearty, reassuring meal? Is it the, the classic drink and knowing what your locals always order? Um, and that familiarity is something that I don't, I think will always be timeless. Yeah. And what did you say there? Unexpected, ridiculous joy. Yeah. That's great, isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, it's fun. It's quite a mouthful, but it does ring true in terms of the kind of words that people use to describe us and hopefully and that's the feeling that we want everyone to have with us every time they join us wherever they are around the world and that's what we're going to convey um as a sales and marketing team and with our PR as well is that come to us for a bit of fun with your group of friends um for whichever type of experience and hopefully you'll leave with a lasting memory yeah as you're shown in your face to your mother-in-law at a 40th birthday party <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it could it could definitely be the new monopoly for uh, for family arguments yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so last couple of things i was going to talk to you about was um obviously we've touched on america so um just a little bit more on that so how many places in america now um, so there's, oh, you're going to test me now. So we've got <laughs> Chapel, we've got um, Austin and Dallas. Austin opened last year and Dallas the year before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Flight Club have got Chicago, Boston, Denver, Atlanta, Las Vegas, and oh, I've forgotten one. Boston? I think so. I think that's everyone. And A, what are you finding? out there in terms of customers and success and all that stuff and also what's your role in supporting them how does that work um so we work really closely so for flight club us that's operated with our franchise partner state of flight hospitality but we work really closely with them and um, steve our ceo is a member of their board so we're um really connected with where they're taking flight club on that journey we're really passionate about working with our partners to ensure that consistency and delivery from what the venues look and feel like to the experience you get when you're in there so collectively as a team we're heavily involved from a marketing perspective with our franchise partners i have regular calls for them to check in kind of align on the campaigns that we're running we don't run the same campaigns and that's absolutely fine because each market is different um and it's there's got to be different ways that you say things in terms of darts isn't known at all in America versus the kind of um, stereotypes and assumptions here in the UK. And so it's having that flexibility and understanding that there is local market variation. To answer your question around the US, it's also each state is different. It's all kind of, they're a microcosm within themselves. So whilst we have our personas that we work to in the UK, we have Lucy from a consumer perspective and Pamela from a B2B perspective. In the US, we've then dialed that into that even more because we've gone, okay, we think it's more broad than that. But it's also to go back to the the Manchester or the Glasgow example, it's removing any arrogance or like preconceptions about how we've performed. We know that this is something that has resonated well in our site so far, but it's also re-looking at what we offer on a local level. So for example, our site in Austin, we've recently started doing live music because we're just on Brainy Street and everyone has live music. Yeah. The same vein. There's no bar in the US that doesn't show live sports. We're not a live sports venue in any other country, but there's also the understanding that in order to resonate and be a really good bar in the US, you have to show the sports, whether you're a five-star hotel bar in New York or wherever, smaller place um, down in Texas, you've people go out for sports. So you need to have that in some capacity. So then we then go on, okay, how can we incorporate this without it being the defining feature? But it resonating well that people go 
it's that first and foremost be a great bar and how you can offer that to that local market. Because I seem to remember Wagamama years ago, did they not have, they had to put tellies in and they were not happy with it, I don't think. Yeah. But, um, and also, I'm sure they had to give knives and forks. Maybe, yeah. Mm, and, and people didn't like the benches either. So apart from that, the concept worked really well. <laughs> <laughs> Just Everyone changed everything. Curry, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But you now have to sell, yeah, a burger. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also uh, Electric Shuffle, you're opening early next year as well in, in yeah. New York. So are you yeah. well ahead on plans on that? Um, it's still with kind of really finalising the interior design and what the venue's going to look and feel like at the moment. New York feels like a really pivotal global brand moment for us. It's, 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 it's the big city, so I'm yeah. very excited for us as a company to be part of that. But there is the trepidation with New York that you, you've got to get it right. You can't, there's no second guesses there. So we're putting all of that into all of our planning, um, doing as much research as we can. So we're quite aware of the kind of public momentum starting on that, but it's part of our daily discussions and something that we can't wait to bring to life, really. Brilliant. And also, just for anyone, you know, mm. who hasn't done it before, like, shuffleboard, kind of, you see it and you go, oh, okay. And when you play it, it's so, like, it's so addictive, like, once you're <laughs> in it, you know? And I was up with uh, Arc Inspiration, I used to do quite a lot of work with those guys and they'd shuffleboard and we're just having a team lunch and chatting away and whatever and he says oh do you want a game of this and I was like oh no you're alright and then went and did it and oh my god couldn't get me off it couldn't get me back to the office to actually do any work I thought it was just the best thing in the world you know yeah and it's one of those things where okay there is some element of skill but there is also a lot of luck in these things and mm. I find that three cocktails is the optimum for your luck um, <laughs> shuffleboard is it's really fun because darts you're all facing the double but shuffleboard the way that we've set it up you can watch on both sides so we talk about it being a bit of an amphitheater because everyone's around it so whilst 16 play at once it's two go head to head each time mm-hmm. so you've got potentially 14 pairs of eyes on you to see if you can land your puck in the area that you're supposed to for whichever of our games that you're playing. So it's not just the highest score wins. It could be how close your pucks go to each other, how much you can dominate the whole table and take up as many hexagons as possible. Um, and you've got that added scrutiny of everyone's eyes on you at once. But then when you do land that perfect puck, you've then got the kind of roars and cheers of everyone either being behind you or being dismayed that you've just beaten them. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely fabulous. That's brilliant. Um, and then the other things I was just going to talk to you about just before we got into some fun things was just really the future of competitive socialising. You know, how do you see it? Um, do you think it's going to sort of grow in all sorts of different ways? Are you going to have more competition? There's going to be more dark sort of Me Too concepts trying to copy you. You know, what, what what's going to happen there, do you think? Well, I mean, we've already started to see that with the competition um, and the market really increasing in the size that it has. So I think competition is no is no bad thing. As I said, it keeps it keeps you hungry and keeps you pushing forwards. I think when it's great to see is when people invest in what they're doing and is passionate about what they're seeing because variety is no bad thing. And the more eyes that are on competitive socialising, the better. So if we have somebody join our neighbourhood, great, because that means that they might go to you the first time, but they'll hopefully come to us the second or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I love about hospitality is that that word of mouth and looking out for each other. So I think I think the industry will only continue to evolve, but I do think there will be a period of seeing who kind of can play the long game and who's looking forward and ahead and, 
and keeping pushing and I mean that's true for all hospitality so it's how we can all kind of be the place that people want to come out to even if they are coming out less at the moment you've got to be front of mind for that so it's how what you can do so that the next time they join you you've got something a little bit different or something to offer where they go oh I didn't remember that cocktail last time or I don't remember that game or whatever that is that relates to what you're offering I think that's something that's that's really important and I think there's a lot of potential globally for competitive socializing we see real opportunity in the US for example I think there are a few years behind us in terms of how much it's kind of um, blown up over here in the US there's kind of top golf who are everywhere but in terms of competitive socializing there's only a handful out there um, so that's something that we're excited to be a part of from the kind of early stages of the industry again it feels like the UK 2.0 in that sense but also you've got Australia as well we've got Fremantle and Perth we've got sites coming that hopefully we're going to be able to announce opening dates in the coming months for Sydney and Melbourne um, and there's loads of other untapped potential too so I think it's going what what can we focus on together and how, who can we work with if we don't think we can do it locally who can we partner with that can help us deliver that same quality so wherever you are in the world you resonate with being in one of our brands or one of our venues yeah definitely and then i was thinking a couple of other things one who did your red engine logo um so that was part of our creative team led by um david ramsbottom so everything we do is in-house um all elements of our team so that was worked up um through various workshops with us it's one of the nicest logos i've ever seen in my life what a compliment uh, it's just phenomenal and <laughs> It just, you know, people just phone it in, right? And they just go, oh, it's a parent company, so it's B2B kind of, so we'll just kind of get a font and that'll be fine. It's yeah. so, like, it's kind of like looking at an Aston Martin, like, there's just nothing wrong with it. Your <laughs> eyes just flow around it and you just think, wow, I think it's one of the best things ever. I, I cite it all the time as an example of people just giving a crap about, you know, the, the output and how they look and the importance of, getting it right because it's almost like coca-cola or something like that's never going to age is it <laughs> i hope we never age like I hope oh. we that's a lovely compliment Thank oh you. it's phenomenal phenomenal no i just I, I steal it with pride all the time as an example and go guys we need to look like this you know <laughs> <laughs> and then i just quickly just before we go into the fun questions um it was something remiss of me I haven't asked already, but just in terms of your leadership style as well, and you leading the team in multiple areas and multiple countries, and also inspiring you know women to come through and, and get a voice at the boardroom table and all these kind of things. Do you think about that much? Do you have a set style? Is it just kind of come naturally? You know what what goes on there in terms of how you lead teams. Um, so I've been fortunate to grow with the company since day one. So. Eight years ago, I came in as marketing manager and I've grown with the company. So I'm now marketing director um, and I oversee the marketing, business development and PR for Flight Club and Electric Shuffle um, here in the UK. And then obviously work closely with our partners and with the Electric Shuffle US marketing team. Um, to answer your question, I think building a team um, and continuing to grow a team is a continuous learning experience. I think what I try to hold close is learning how everyone else likes to work and how they like to be managed just because you work in a certain way doesn't mean that that's the right way for everyone and i think it's trying to be open to that um i tried to 
empower my team as much as possible, partner with them as much as possible. At Red Engine, we build a team of experts because we want everything to be in-house because we think that's the best way to operate. If you've got experts that are passionate about what they do, there's so much you can learn from each other as a result. So from, with marketing specifically, I think it's great to start with broad experience and be that kind of jack of all to start and then go, okay, I'm really enjoying this. How can I drill down into that? How can I really refine that? So it's then going, okay, how are we going to build a team around that? How are we going to deliver what the business needs, but also um, build something that's fun to work on and it's a fun team to be a part of. And I think it never tires seeing venues coming to life. So from a marketing perspective and, and sales as well, it's a joy to see customers coming in and enjoying it every day. So it's, it's how you can work with the team but also create enough space for growth for new ideas and i'm very conscious we've got a young team here that i'm, I'm now falling out of our target market age remit so <laughs> making sure that i'm listening to what the TikTok trends actually are just because i'm not completely abreast of it anymore mm. uh, and being aware that you might not always get everything right and that there is constant learning i think i'm really proud of the team we've built here but there's also going, okay, so we're now looking at what the next two years look like and where we want to take the next phase of growth. And it's going, okay, well, just because we've done it this way doesn't mean we always should. And what can we do next? And I think that's true for any team. And have you got any advice for, you know, anyone young and especially young women wanting to get into, you know, marketing in, in terms of the, the space or, you know, further their career in marketing? Um, yeah, I think it's about it's about really getting stuck in and being willing to try everything i think until you've tried as many parts of marketing as you can that's you won't truly know why where your passion lies um, and i've seen that with a lot of my team where they've started as one element um they then specialized in another so it's it's getting stuck in it's not being afraid to ask what you might think is a silly question because there really isn't any such thing as that and having that passion for what you do and working on um how you can really build on that so i think it's especially with hospitality you know eight years ago i hadn't really worked in hospitality outside of the classic pulling pints that's like after uni or whatever mm. um, and i probably just hadn't really thought about it as an industry for for my sins and it's the best industry to be a part of it's so welcoming everyone i think looks out for each other and there's so many layers to it that the customer just doesn't think about because well, they don't have to and they don't necessarily because they're not encountering it they just assume it gets done where actually there's so much that goes into it and the care and the passion here is in this industry is unlike any other that i've worked in i think that's something that's really exciting and i think that's why what we're doing with hospitality rising is an incredible thing too well thank you yeah i mean it is it's just the friendliest uh friendliest industry and that's why i stayed because i was in finance before and e-com and travel and you wouldn't even talk to your competitor you know you absolutely hated them with you know all your heart you know <laughs> so it was nice when you see that wagamama and you are talking about sales figures of you know each site to try and help each other you know and peter martin years ago told me something great where he just said you know you're you're there really to get people to enjoy eating out and drinking out um and yeah. uh, and Robin Rowan said, you know, you get paid to make people happy. That's that's what you do, and and that's yeah. always stuck with me, you know. Yeah, and you've got to be happy doing it too, because otherwise, people see through that. It's got to be genuine and authentic. Mm -hmm. um, and I think as well, it's that relationship building. So you spoke about Peter Martin. He's he's been incredible. There's so many people that kind of 
have been welcoming either to myself as an individual or us as the company uh-huh. um, and that constantly talking to others and learning and being like we're finding this how are you finding it it's that that reassurance and camaraderie and I think that really came across in kind of during and post COVID in particular but that's something that's incredible to see great and then what's next for you for me, um, I think there's still a lot that I can do here at Red Engine. There's a, a lot that we're getting stuck into, whether it's future launches, new products, um, partnering with suppliers on kind of we've got a big campaign coming this sum- this winter for winter terraces and doing something with a twist there. So I think I'm still hungry for all the things that we can do here um, and also how we can build the team further. So that's my that's my priority for now, for sure. Great. Okay, some fun questions to to end the the wee podcast. So we have this thing called Mark Out of Ten, and it isn't really Mark Out of Ten. It's just a nice title. <laughs> but um, but just to to ask your favourite thing. So favourite city to eat in? Um, New York for me. I think the the trends that you see there, um, and the fact that you can try anything at any time of day or night is something that I love. A lot of fun to be had there. Yeah. Um, you got a favourite hotel? I would say um, the Lizio Hotel, which is in Montenegro, where I went last summer with some friends. It was stunning. A little bit bougie, but great service. The cocktails were great. Every every part of it was really considered and thought of. Um, and I've got really good memories of that week there. Nice. I love a bit of bougie. Very good. <laughs> um, you got a favourite coffee shop? Um, so controversially, I don't drink coffee, oh. but I do when it's in an espresso martini, which right. makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I say the espresso martinis, if that passes the test, uh, Kudu or Kudu Grill are excellent, but otherwise I'm a bit of a coffee failure, I'm afraid. Now, are you, are you at a tea shop or is there somewhere you hang out that's not the pub? Uh, <laughs> embarrassingly not probably not really <laughs> might have a in a pub probably <laughs> Greg's Greg's for a social role. um yeah. <laughs> and then well I guess we've covered favourite bar um and drink uh, you got a favourite restaurant and, and what you'd eat there if, oh it's so hard to narrow it down um I've got three of them in it I really enjoyed Brat Smoking Goat and Noble Rot I think they're consistently excellent i think smoking goats fried egg rice noodles might be the hangover cure to end all hangovers um so noble raw i just i love the atmosphere there the food's excellent yeah i've never done noble raw it's so ashamed that i've never done but uh, the other two yeah brat i was i went with ark and with with the best day and uh, smoking goat. I think when Buzzworks were down visiting uh, from Scotland, we went there. So yeah, both fantastic. Yeah, so that's a that's a great triptych greatest hits you've got there. Brilliant, nice. All righty. Well, listen, I'll love you and leave you. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's such a pleasure to finally properly chat. And uh, I'll definitely take you up on that drink sometime when I'm up in London. And uh, or if you're down in Brighton, and we'll we'll have a proper catch up. But um, but this has been fascinating to just sort of see inside the the world of red engine because as i say and you've you've got to hopefully take it as a compliment you know you're really well thought of um in hospitality and and we're really proud um you know to have you as one of our, our standout brands so thank you so much for all that you do oh thank you very much great all right speak soon thanks take care yes 
So there we go, a fantastic chat with Juliet Keat, who's the marketing director of Red Engine. And I'm sure, like me, you want to wish her and the team at Red Engine all the best for the new openings and also global domination. This podcast is sponsored by Vita Mojo, the all-in-one restaurant management platform helping operators grow ATV, reduce tech complexity and serve guests better. Just visit vitamojo.com forward slash supersonic and get in touch with the team right away. That's vitamojo.com forward slash supersonic. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off for another podcast and I'm really looking forward to the next time we're together. Next time, we'll hear from many, many more interesting people with top tips, tricks and tales that will make your brand boom.